Hey, and welcome to episode 33 of the Sunfire Tavern, our podcast for gamers and geeks, where we talk about everything going on in the games industry, movies, and TV. With me, Clark, and my co-host, Ollie, discussing the hot topics from the week. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sunfire Tavern, and listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And also, if you want to drop us an email, you can do that through sunfiretavern at gmail.com. Ollie, hello. Hello. How you doing, Clark? Uh- I'm good. Uh, I I can hear in the background we might have a secret special guest again. Oh, yes. Hello. Hello, Charlie. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Round two. Let's go. Yeah. Yep. So you obviously obviously d- didn't learn your lesson the first time, so here you are again for, <laughs> for more epic Sunfire Tavening. How are you? I am good, thank you. Uh, good? Other than it's storming right now. No, that's good. I love this stormy <laughs> weather. Oh, brings me alive. The weather brings me to is- life quite enjoyable to watch when you're in the safety of your own home not so much if you're out and about yeah no but i do have leaky windows so there's like a little bit of water getting in which i'm getting fixed this week so i'm excited about that which is that's the life of a homeowner like you get excited about leaky windows being fixed well at least your plants are getting free free water they can see they are because i don't care for them anymore and (laughs) one over there is is dying very very quickly oh no uh, but so this week's agenda, we'll start off with what we've been playing and watching, uh, and then nerding out about game animation, uh, edutainment games, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, uh, esports betting on the PlayStation, Chromie and WoW being officially confirmed as transgender, uh, the Friends reunion, and then we're trying out a new segment which we're calling Nostalgia Bite, and we're going to talk about demo discs, which is going to be super exciting. Ollie actually came in right at the start of this podcast and, and destroyed my schedule by asking if we could switch the, the topic from something else to this one. So very unhappy about that. Like My, my, my schedule is very important, very hard to move around. Look, it's an Excel document. We just drag blocks left and right. It's super easy to do. I've been thinking about demo discs recently, okay? And I've been thinking well, about how great they are. And I well, just you, need you can, to get out there. You, know? you can hold off until we get to that point. Don't, <sighs> don't start pre-podcasting, Ollie. Oh, um, so, Charlie, what have you been playing this week? Or watching? Or doing? Or... What have you been doing this week? This week? <laughs> I haven't been playing anything this week, but I have been watching a lot of video essays. It's been a bit of a marathon. So I think uh, Joseph Anderson, Ollie will know, is the name of one. He's very good video essay for games. And I think he White Light... For, What's he known for? Like Ooh, I watched the one about Soma. He's also done quite a few... Uh, like The Witness, it's very long, maybe like an hour or yeah. longer. Okay. He, he does extremely long form video essays and like really detailed breakdowns of games. So like right now he's currently doing a series on The Witcher 3, but like in order to do that, he went back and played like The Witcher 1, uh, The Witcher 2, read all the books and is like basically going through like a really, really long video essay mm-hmm. on like the whole of The Witcher, kind of like a um, detailed analysis of it. Yeah, and his videos are really good. They're really good like background things, but also just like um, if you're super into like game design and stuff like that i really like his critique of uh, some games uh also cool. yeah i mean also he his streaming persona is very different from his video essay persona <laughs> i will say so um if you tune into his streams you'll see a very different side of him but um yeah i definitely recommend anyway sorry charlie you're oh. saying video essays his videos are very well edited as well i'd say mm. especially when it must take so long to put together something that when you're talking about the game and discussing, you have relevant clips to what you're discussing. Because games are long, so I think that would be quite difficult. 
And but, the, I mean, the whole concept of doing like a video essay on something, what looks like it took an hour, probably took 10, 15 hours to like produce, edit, mm-hmm. da, 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 all that stuff. It takes ages. Like Ollie will know because now he's our official editor for the podcast for the moment <laughs> because we didn't find time this week to go over the, the setup again, as predicted. Um, but yeah, like like what sounds like it takes a, a little bit of time tends to take 10 times the amount of time to put together. Completely. And the other, the other one I've been watching, which I'm only three and a half hours, only three and a half oh, hours God. in so far, is, I think it's by White Light, and it's a Death Stranding commentary slash kind of video essay, um, going through all of the understandings and everything from Death Stranding, which is very interesting because it's going through the, ga- the game in a linear format, so it's kind of, kind of like a walkthrough, but it's only cut sort of i guess the interesting parts and then he'll also discuss things that happen behind the scenes things to do with the actors and such that's very interesting but it is over seven hours in total it's a very long video it's a question then would you say that these would make a good replacement for actually playing the game so if you were to sit and listen to this video essay and get a full understanding of it, would that give you a similar experience of playing a game like death stranding which is a walking simulator I don't think so, and he does discuss this in it, where I think it was Kojima who made the game thinks that it is something you have to play rather than watch, because especially with something like Death Stranding, it is that movement and that trying to get over the hills, and there's this like game mechanic where you wobble each way, so you have to kind of balance your weight as if you are holding a very heavy backpack. So you miss that sense of that like tangibility. Yeah, because I've not played Death Stranding. My brother raves about it, but I've I've not touched it. it. It was one of those games that I was super interested in when I saw it announced and saw the trailer, which was super spooky. And then when it came out, I was like, mm, it doesn't really grab me, but I'll probably grab it when it comes out on like PS Plus or something, um, which I'm sure it will soon, because if Final Fantasy VII came out for free like a month ago on PS Plus, I would imagine Death Stranding is on its way as well. Yeah, I... Yeah, I've not had a chance to play it as well, but it seems like one of those like weird experience games where it's kind of like, yeah, you kind of want to like just try it just to see what it's like. And I think some people really like it, some people are uh, Ooh, not so. Uh, there's a couple of games like that. I don't know if you played Gone Home. Mm. Um, that is that is a game that you you should not describe to someone, shouldn't tell them about. Just say, just go and play that game and yep. go and experience it. And it's such like a a small story being told in such a small way, and it has so much impact when you get through it. Like I, I love that game so much. Mm. Um, and for, spoilers for anyone listening, it's the whole concept of secret something going on, which is really well done. But I won't say what the secret is, but it's just, it's super cool. Mm. Just go, go and play that game. Highly recommend it. Similar to Life is Strange and stuff, I think, in that kind of vein. Uh, but sorry, Charlie, what, what else have you been doing this week? Sorry, I'm going to cough. That is my main, main thing, really. That's taken up a lot of my time. <laughs> a lot okay. of long form video essays. I mean, it sounds like a lot of hours of watching TV. Uh, well, watching YouTube, sorry. Uh, Ollie, what about you? Um, this week I've actually not really spent much time like playing or watching games, I guess, except for the usual like late night League of Legends and Age of Empires and all this other stuff. Um, I've been recommended a game by a friend, uh, which is called Nosia. It's on Switch. It's about time loops, and it's a visual novel. And he said that a 16-year-old version of me would have absolutely loved this game, so the 27-year-old version of me will like doubly love this game. So um, that's on my in, on my radar in terms of games to play right now. Um, I think it's a Switch exclusive, um, so yeah, I'll need to 
download it and play it. Uh, but apart from that, I dabble, been dabbling into like Apex Legends again, just for fun. Uh, just put, like play a shooter again, and also playing it with some friends from work. Um, and yeah, that was really, it's been really good. Um, and oh. anything else? What have I been? Have I seen anything? Oh, and um, I need to start watching Castlevania. Uh, the new season of Castlevania on Netflix, the anime, because apparently it's season three now. Season three. Season three. Yeah. Apparently yeah. it's like super good, uh, or at least the the fight scenes have been like really good, and the trailer looks like the animation is like top notch, which is really it's, cool. It's amazing that show is. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not into it myself because like, I've kind of churned off anime a little bit, mm. but it is beautiful. Like yeah. looking at it, you can really appreciate the the quality that's gone into that show. Yeah. So it's, it's super surprising because I think it's like a Western made show as well so like yeah yep. looks super good uh so that's on my radar as well but in terms of actually doing anything uh no i spent a lot of time a lot of time outside uh socializing I yeah guess. i mean i was gonna say like i've seen you on video now and you, you've clearly like embraced the fitness element of things <laughs> like, you lost some weight you look good man you look Thank good you. I'm, um, I'm proud of you proud yeah of you. uh so hopefully i can find some time to uh now that everything's going indoors again but you know that means that I will also probably spend some time indoors. Um, playing some games. But yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what about you, Clock? You've been watching anything, playing anything recently? Like, So, I've been watching more of that Shadow and Bone. It's getting better. Oh, very, yeah. Very, very good show. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it. I recommended it to you, Ollie, last week. Charlie, mm-hmm. do you know Shadow and Bone? It's a book series, right? I would assume it's a book because it feels very much like, like young adult kind of stuff. Mm. I um it's great like i'm really enjoying it it's it's getting me through my hour on the cross trainer at the gym so i get on the cross trainer put it on put my headphones on off i go uh and it's great it's a really really good show um so i've been watching that i had a date last week so a second date and we ended up staying in because the weather was shit uh and we played pokemon snap together so he's not he's, he's not a gamer and I, I obviously am. And he just spotted it on my on my desk when we were kind of sitting down having drinks or whatever. And he was like, oh, can we play that? I haven't played Pokemon in years. We put it on. We played it for like four hours solid. Aww. It was So that was cute. And That's lovely. I actually dis- so I discovered I didn't really enjoy Pokemon Snap on my own, but playing it with someone else is really fun. Because mm. there's like one-upmanship element of it where you take all your photos, they get rated, and then the other person will take all the photos, and they get rated. And you're like, ha-ha, mm. I got a better picture of a Pidgey. Screw you. Um... <laughs> So that was fun. Um, I've been playing Pokemon Sword because I'm working on a little thing for a friend. Um, it's a friend's birthday coming up and I'm doing something cool. Uh, I can't talk about it because I think they are a listener as well. Actually, they do listen to the show. Um, at least they do give me feedback on it, so I hope they listen. Um, hi, friend. Hi. <laughs> um, and that is pretty much it, other than, again, Sea of Thieves and the usual other stuff. But it's been a pretty hectic week with work last week, so I was kind of over, like consumed with work a bit. Haven't really had much time to play anything else. Um, but yeah, that's been my week. Um, so I guess we could start by talking about nerding out about game animation. Go. Alright. <laughs> Here's, so, since I put the topic on here, but it's because me and Charlie have been talking about it. What is, like, I guess your guys' favourite game animation i guess like they that, like you can think of in your head like when you think of a game you think of like oh man that game that animation like even if it's just a very specific animation that's that someone has or like a character has or something you've seen like do you guys have it's yours Jin from tekken by any chance ollie okay so listen i can talk about i could talk about tekken's animation for a long time but 
yes, Tekken is probably up there in terms of like some of my favorite animations. Um, what what's with Jin in Tekken? Then are we talking as in Jin? Jin Kazama. Kazama. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like so in terms of like fighting game animation, I guess because Tekken is three D, right? So it has they have it to is? animate the whole character. Yeah, as in terms of like you know sidestepping and going into back into into and out of the foreground, uh, you know, um, I think the animations in that game are beautiful, beautiful. Like you know, just uh, Jin especially, like the uh, like electric hook fists and all of those things. It's just like such a good example of like crunchy like fighting game animation. Like um, and also the fact that like in fighting games the animations are also tied to like the actual sort of like gameplay itself in terms of the balance and stuff like that it's so from like a technical perspective it's really impressive but also from like an animation perspective it's really impressive and then also fun trivia on top of that for tekken is that like because the game is you know tekken 3 is like god what like 20 years old or something now mm. yeah very very old and they're still no, it's late nineties. Tech. I think Tech Three was is late nineties. Okay, yeah. While you're talking, I'll do my usual sneaky Google. Hang on. <laughs> is it is it like ninety eight? I'm making a random. All right, let, let's do a guess. So, what year? What year do we think Tech Three came out? You're saying ninety eight, Charlie. I'm going to say, uh, say ninety nine. Hang on. <gasps> I, it is. I'm going to say ninety seven because it was ninety seven. <laughs> 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 I know. I, I did actually know the year on this because it's it's specifically linked to something that happened in my life at the time. Okay. Uh, something positive. It was good. Hmm. Um, but uh, it was given to me as a gift for doing something. I think I. It, it was. What did I do? My GCSEs or something like that. It was mm. a gift for my GCSEs. Oh my god. Um, and yet, Tekken Three was actually like a flawless game on the on the PS One. Oh yeah, it was so a fantastic good. game. Yeah. Um, so, but so so you you were talking about like Jin's animation. Like if if I remember rightly, it's when he like does the charge up stuff and all the lightning comes around his fist. Yeah. So he actually yeah. does like he just does like a pun like a hook fist. So he just like sort of goes like this, and then all the electric comes out if you do it like on. If you do the input like perfectly on this on the right frame, and it looks really cool. And also when it hits someone, it has like yeah like all the electric effects and they like tail spin and stuff like that. And it looks really cool. But the thing about Tekken Three is the thing about Tekken is that they still reuse animations from Tekken Three in Tekken Seven, like twenty year old animations. That's why it feels so good. Yeah, because it's like nostalgic, right? <laughs> and they like clean, but they, they you know they've cleaned it up and added like extra sort of like. In, in between frames and some of the animations but it's still like really cool the fact that they reuse those animations for the nostalgia purposes and balance purposes and stuff like that also even more stupid fun fact so you know there's that pokemon fighting game that came out for wii u and i think it's pokken. on switch now pokken right yeah pokken is made by the same team who um made tekken uh and what's great is that they actually reuse some of the tekken animations in pokken I, really? Yeah, so you can you can watch a video on YouTube of like the uh, the comparison between the animations, and it's so good because Pikachu is just a really small Heihachi. He, he literally has the same moves, the same animations. Yeah, like, but it's it's funny because it's, it's just it's, like this tiny little Pikachu just doing like uppercuts um, and stuff, and it's great. <laughs> well, because Heihachi is the one that does the spin and then the uppercut, isn't it? Yeah. Like the, yeah, yeah. So is that why it's called Pokken then? Because it's Tekken Pokemon? Is that? Guess so. Like the mechanics are different, but the but they reuse some of the anim- they reuse like you know when because Pokken has a thing where it's like it goes into like uh the sort of like two there's the normal like two D fighting game side of it, but then like sometimes it switches into the weird like free roam aspect, which is where it was kind of a I bit weird. Wasn't a fan of Pokken. Like I couldn't yeah. understand the game. It was too 
specific on these weird mechanics that I didn't yeah, really get. Yeah, it was it was a bit um, much. But then like the actual like if they kept, I think if they kept us like the two D side of it, it probably would. I I mean I probably would have played it more. But um yeah like yeah they just reused a bunch of the animation. So it's like Blaziken is like basically Horang and stuff like that. Like. <laughs> And it's, I'll give it a go. I might give it another try. Like, hmm. see if I can get back into. It. If it's more like Tekken than than you than you say it is, then maybe I'll like it because hmm. I love Tekken. So, yeah. um, Charlie, animations like nice. this is a super interesting topic. Like, I'm my head's kind of going a mile to the dozen right now. But you go ahead. <laughs> I just I wanted to touch on fighting games just for a little longer. Is something you don't actually think about is the connection. You think about doing all these cool flips and how nice kind of punches and hits look. But the connection between your opponent and that feeling is also what makes it really nice. Mm. Yeah. Because that must be hard to do when you have all these different characters to still make it look like you're hitting them all the same. Yeah, making the hitboxes feel like that they're not just hitboxes, that it's actually like impacting their body or... Yeah. Mm. Yeah, like the hit reactions, it, right? For, from all the I can't imagine how difficult it is to get that to work for like for, for so like Smash Brothers, for example, has got what two hundred million characters now. I don't know what the count is. Six billion, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and they all do it. Although then again, Smash Brothers hitboxes are kind of wonky. So, but mm. it's, it's also like grabs, right? Like for example, every every character has to grab every other character, and I like there are tricks into how to make it look, you know. Look yeah, the like the whole putting thing, your hand right? inside the character and just throwing them. Like, yeah, yeah, right. But that used to be Ogre in, in fact, Tekken three or Tekken Tag was Ogre. Which one was Ogre? Uh, Tekken three. Yeah, Ogre's in Tekken three. And yes, yeah, so he used so. to have that thing where he'd like he'd just put his arms inside you and spin around or hug you if you were too small. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of cool. Um, Sometimes you also like magnetize to each other. Yeah, yeah. Bonk. Bro, gun. Like, uh, Soul, Soul Calibur does that quite a bit, I've noticed. Mm. The, the, the magnet throws, which, where, where you look at it and you actually look really close to the animation, you're like, that's not really as good as it could be. Like, that could be better. Yeah. Um, so let me throw one into the mix. So, as soon as you said this, the first thing that came to mind was Sonic the Hedgehog, and when he's leaning on the edge of a platform and he kind of goes, whoa, yeah. that little animation has got more charm and character in it the most games that have come out in the last five years mm. yes i'm, I'm going to say something controversial it, it's incredible just how much charm can be in what 20 frames of animation because mm -hmm. it gives sonic a personality it gives him like almost like a a, a, a danger a dangerous feeling of like not going to the edge of the platform you know what i'm talking about there where he's got like yeah, the, yeah, his yeah. eyes kind of like, like that kind of stuff and i think mario has a similar thing as well in odyssey where he gets to the edge of a platform and he's, his face expression starts to get a bit like oh i don't like this like <laughs> That's the Mushroom Kingdom down there, but that's the bad part of it. Mm. Um, so yeah, that would be mine. The the kind of the that, and then the the underwater thing as well, where he, where he eats a bubble. Oh yeah, because it comes with that noise, and I, I I think that's more of because it comes connected with that idea of relief. Mm. Because when you get yes, that air, because you... the deaf noise. <laughs> For anyone who is younger than I don't know when was Sonic. When was Sonic one and two and three? Like Sonic one was ninety one. So I guess anyone under 30 probably wouldn't know, but there used to be, uh, as Charlie just mentioned, this 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 countdown timer when you're underwater in Sonic, because you'd be swimming around, well, not swimming, you'd be kind of bouncing around really slowly, and then it would suddenly start going, duh, 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 and it would get faster and faster until anxiety kicks in and you have an actual real-life heart attack. The timer never ends, you just die physically, that's how stressful it was. And it was getting to the next air bubble that would stop that, and like the animation that came with it was this like look of absolute relief and and mixed with panic on Sonic's face. Mm. So again, probably calling yeah, out Sonic that, and Mario. 
that death animation gave me nightmares because it had this like boing noise yeah, as well yeah, like yeah. he suddenly got hit by something and then yeah. he would be shocked and just float past the bottom of the yeah, screen yeah, yeah. and he did that thing where he'd like flop up in the air and then fall over the front of the scenery mm-hmm. and yeah. th- there was a, there was a, a a flash video many many years ago that explored what was below the screen in mario and sonic and oh, it's just corpses yeah. it's just a land of corpses but like this really <laughs> dark sinister place it was so cool it, it sounds like new grounds era yeah it was it yeah. was from new grounds. So there's, there's there's like a whole series of um mario machinima where it explores the world of mario if it was like a bit more gritty mm. and like so princess peach is like a bit of a you know she's a bit, bit of a lad um she, she she kind of puts it about a bit of it i'll say she's sort of torn between luigi and mario mario's sort of like a drug dealer luigi's like sort of smackhead like he's off on his head and it's this cartoon series that honestly is really good like it's well worth watching i just can't remember what it's called i would imagine something like neo mario or something like that um <laughs> But there's tons of machinima out from like the the early noughties that has kind of disappeared into obscurity from the same era as salad fingers and stuff. Yeah, um, I've really gone off on one here. Like I've. I mean, we could talk around. about old school Newgrounds and Flash games and Flash in general for. No, that sounds like a nostalgia bite section. That's like yeah, that <laughs> yeah. that could be a whole section. So, um... I do I do have an actual answer. Okay, for go, 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 game go. animation, and that is Shadow of the Colossus. Ooh, good choice. Good choice. Because it is beautiful, it has such great atmosphere, and I think the mechanic of the horse and how you rode the horse is very interesting. And I'm not sure if games have done that since, because you don't control the horse like you normally would in a game. You control the the person on the horse, moving the horse. Mm. So at first it feels really awkward, but then you get used to it, and it just gives that kind of weight to the horse because everything in shadow of the colossus has so much weight to it anyway well you could say so to your actions in that game because everything is kind of impactful mm. to the point where i mean i didn't realize that the game was going where it was because i when i played it originally didn't really pay attention to the storyline i was just like oh she's cool i'm climbing giants played it recently and i was like oh there's a big story here um yes. But yeah, that's a really good point. Like getting, like riding the horse and and feeling like you're learning to ride the horse as you go, and the the horse becoming easier to kind of interact with as you go. That that's something I didn't notice before. But yeah, now that I think about it, that's exactly the same experience that I had when I was playing it recently. Hmm. And and a, a similar to uh, a game called The Last Guardian. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have a similar sort of thing where you're interacting with a big dragon dog thing, and it starts out like being a bit of a pain in the ass, then it slowly gets more interactive with you, and that gets easier. Um, cool, a, a good call out on the on yeah. the horse from Shadow of the Colossus and just the game in general. Um, yes. There's probably a billion games out there that you could. I mean, Metal Gear Solid is a, is a yeah a game. So the, the, any question anyone asks, I could use Metal Gear Solid as an answer to it. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is, it's just flawless. That game is. Uh, okay, I was... can I can I fit to Death Stranding very quickly? Sure. Because mm-hmm. watching the cutscenes there feels very awkward. If you pause the game at any point during a cutscene, it looks beautiful. Mm. But the characters don't seem to actually look each other in the eye. It, and I think it's that kind of uncanny valley sort of thing. Maybe it's because they're mo-capped? I'm not entirely sure. Mm. Yeah, That's something that I never really notice in games is eye contact. But when you do really look for it... It's a weird thing because, I mean, I'm from an era as well where, where um, games didn't have, like, movable eyes. They were just part of the same skin. Yeah. 
uh, that's something that's kind of come about in uh, probably the last 10, 10 years or so, maybe 12 years now, as, as I get older and more ancient. Um, but it's just something I never looked for. But when, when it's not there now, it's it's really noticeable. Yeah. Like in it's the because the rest, yes, I was going to touch on Mass Effect as well, but it's because Go. the rest of the face is like so real looking now. Because if you're a bunch of polygons, like from PS1 era, it was fine if nobody actually looked at each other in the eye because you were just a cardboard box. But now everything else is so photoreal. So when you don't actually feel like someone's looking at you, it's like when you kind of your mind goes when someone's talking to you and you're just like staring off into the distance. It yeah, has that you, feel. Yeah, when you like blank out for a second and you take your minute to kind of come back into the conversation and you're like, mm. have they noticed that I've blanked out? But you <laughs> can always see it. Like, yeah. Um, but yes, and this is part of why Mass Effect Andromeda was a little creepy to start with because people's eyes. eyes were mm. bright white and mm. they didn't have any shading, which gave them this weird doll-like quality. Oh god! It was uh, it, it was super creepy. Like I mean, I didn't play Andromeda yet, but now that the the new trilogy is out, um, like it's it's so I was looking at footage of the new trilogy and I don't think it looks as good as the original. Because they've added like ridiculous lighting effects and stuff, but I think it's taken some of the character away from what the character models were. I, but I don't know if I'm just being a nostalgic old git or... Hey. Uh, what do you think? Like, have you played the new one? Because it's actually on our thing to talk about, so we can just move straight to that. I really want to play it so, so badly. But something I do, and this is probably more of a game design thing to mention, is that a pet peeve of mine and it seems to be Mass Effect, but I'm sure other games have done this as well, is where your your like hair character like the different parts of the body that you can create in in the character creation is also what npcs look like so you can see an npc that looks exactly like you just wandering around or you recognize the hair model but it's a different color and such like that that really takes me out of it with mm. mass effect it's a fair point it's a similar feeling i had with uh, watchdogs legion if you didn't play it or if you did play it. Um, so this game's big selling point was that you don't play as a main character anymore. You play as all the characters in the game. Yeah. So if you see someone walking around, you can be that character and bring them in. Oh. Obviously, there's only so many character models that can be randomly generated before you start seeing clones. And that's where that game started to feel really disconnected to me because you're walking around a really crappily built version of London. So like Soho, for example, is like three shops wide. It makes no sense. Yeah. Um, and for a game that is only in London, you think they could have got it right. And, and they, there was a lot wrong with that game. Um, but yeah, everywhere you look, there's like a clone of you and a clone of them and a clone of this. And, and sometimes you'd see conversations with clones, like talking to each other. And it'd be like, this just doesn't work. And the whole thing was built on this random generator that wasn't very random. But yeah, so th that kind of stood out to me. But I can understand why that is to a certain extent. But why when you're building a character creator, why don't you make those hairstyles exclusive to just the character creation and yeah. not anyone else? Yeah, it's because it's a way to save on resources, right? Save on time, because then you've got to like spend all this time making one set of like hairstyles and stuff like that and then spend another time set of time making all these hairstyles and basically it's because you know like you're gonna play th through this game probably once you're gonna pick like one hairstyle chances are you know you probably hopefully you won't see a character that's you know got the same hairstyle look everything but you know it does happen well yeah it does happen. Will. it happened um, quite a few times on my last playthrough oh no because it was only last year that i replayed all three mm. i haven't i mean i think we talked about this last time you were on charlie and i like 
I didn't finish the second one, so I'm still in suicide mission. I'm still there now. Um, <laughs> I really should, but that now that the, the the new trilogy is out, I feel like I should just kind of flip over yeah. and yeah. just start them all. Because apparently the first one you blast through super quick because uh, they've like massively optimized the mechanics. They've they've put the combat from three into one. Oh really? Nice. But that's from what I've heard. So okay. don't quote me because I haven't played it myself. But I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts, as you know. Yeah. Um, and they all talk about how the combat from three feels like it's now in one, which makes it feel more smooth and clean. Um, and it's sort of like combined all the mechanics across the three games into one more like persistent mechanic, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so I'm going to play through it again. It's also super cheap. Like it's like thirty-five pounds or something, which for three games and three mm. brilliant games, well worth it. Yeah. Um. Sure. I have a question. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Regarding, because when I played, I played all three and then I played Andromeda. And when I played all three, I didn't really notice much about the movement. I was like, this is fine. This is how games are. And then I played Andromeda and the fact that you have so much movement in that, it was like, oh yes, this is what modern games are like. You have so much more movement because you can't even jump in the original three. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because there was a, a thing at the time from a lot of games where the ability to jump was like a, a colossal change. Um, mm. So I played Final Fantasy XI a lot and it was a big MMO and it was standing up against World of Warcraft at the time, which was a game where you could just jump because, you know, people can jump. But in Final Fantasy XI, you couldn't. And then fourteen came out and you still couldn't jump. And it was like right. so much drama. Like people were like, well, why can't you jump in an MNO? And I was like, well, yeah, but you couldn't jump in the previous one. So you shouldn't be able to jump in this one. And it took me a while to be like, wait, why shouldn't you be able to jump? And it, I couldn't work that out in my head because I was just used to being in a game where that was a restriction. Like a, a, a knee-high wall was like a thing that blocked off zone lines and stuff. Yeah. It was mental. But yeah, there was a whole thing because uh, games go through these things where like they all have these weird barriers to overcome. Like mm -hmm. getting the water effects right was a big thing. Getting eyes right was another thing. Facial hair. And, and then the hair mechanics in the NVIDIA cards and stuff was a big thing for oh, a long yeah. time. I still it's, remember always, the tech... Uh, I still remember watching all the NVIDIA tech demos of like, look at this horse's mane uh, fluttering uh, in the wind, you know. And, all these and look at the hair in the cutscene of this Final Fantasy game, and it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah you, it's great. You, you could tell how far graphics would come based on how well they rendered um, Triple H's hair in WWE. Oh, yeah. I remember that was like wow. a benchmark used or something. Something, something I was told years ago is that the technology that you see in movies will be the technology you see in games in about 10 years' time. Mm. So yeah. if you see cool stuff happen in movies, in about 10 years' time, you'll see graphics card being able to replicate that on a public scale, not on a, like, a it's, $6 million PC scale. Yeah, it's, re it's rendered versus real-time. So it's like, you know, if yep. you can... Obviously, if we had computers and graphics cards and stuff like that that could render at, you know, these movie quality, kind of, like, CG quality in real-time, then all the games would look, like, incredible. But sadly, yeah, it's hard to do that in, uh, in real-time. But yeah, when you're like doing, obviously, when you're rendering a film or like rendering out like, you know, super high def stuff, you don't, like, time is not an issue. You know, it's not time critical. So you can just like wait a year to render a film if you wanted. I mean, I Which would recommend that, it. Which but... blew my mind when I, when I realized that rendering physically, I mean, I used to render stuff, so I, I know that rendering does take time. Yeah. But rendering some movies takes literal months. Yeah. Like, there's one mm. of the Spider-Man uh, movies took, it was like seven months to render the entire movie. Mm-hmm. So, so there's just a computer just sitting there with a little loading bar and everyone's watching it going, come on, 2%, <laughs> let's yeah. go. Mm -hmm. As someone who does this, it is painful when you have to leave your computer overnight and it always sounds like it's going to turn die. into... Yeah. 
<laughs> so it comes from the era, like um, many, many years ago when I first kind of got into computing and stuff, um, we didn't have broadband and we didn't have uh, internet that was always on. We had 56K or even 14K when I started. We had 14K modems. And this is, you've probably seen in movies and stuff when you dial up to the internet and you get that like, ding, 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 that <laughs> yeah. and all that horrible noise. That's effectively uh, the phones talking to each other through analog signals and saying, yep. hey, this person's connecting, authenticate, da -da -da -da, doing all that shit. Um, we used to have it, though, so there was no download resuming and there was no, like, um, so if you were downloading something and someone interrupted your internet or you disconnected, yep. you'd have to start again. There was no, like, the, the, the ability to continue a download came later. And I remember, like, you'd get halfway through a download for, like, a two-meg patch, which would take you all weekend. And then you'd hear your mum's voice in the modem. You're like, Mum, no, don't pick up the phone! <laughs> and she's like, get off the phone! And you're just like, oh. Like, it took, you know, it took a whole other week to play Doom properly because you couldn't get your patch. Mm -hmm. Just a whole different era. Like, um, right. But, like, nostalgia's a big thing this week for me because I've been on a bit of a nostalgia kick because I've been talking with a friend who's, like, collecting a load of old stuff. Like, they're, they're collecting GameCube games, but in their original boxes. Mm. So I've been going on a bit of nostalgia. So my brain's in nostalgia. Um, Do you think but... there's anything that we take for... That will change? Oh my gosh, sorry. Words. So back to jumping. Because at the time, jumping was a rarity. And it used to be like you'd have to just kind of like walk off the edge and you would auto-jump. Yeah. And now we have jumping. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's something we don't have now that will be normal in the future? Hmm. That's a very good question. That's a hard one to think because that's, that's really looking forwards. And it's like thinking about what do we not have now? I guess... It I feels mean... less obvious. Yeah, yeah. It's, I feel like in terms of free range of movement in games, like we're pretty good in terms of like movement mechanics and like weird stuff. But I guess like... Um... I'm trying to think of a fun one and not a dumb one because there's like really boring ones I could talk about like rollback netcode in fighting games but um you know I don't know I guess with v VR and stuff right like I guess maybe there's some like maybe when VR becomes more popularized um we'll see like kind of if VR does become a standard I guess we'll t you know because we take you know then we'll, we'll be able to take VR games and stuff like that for granted but mm. I think more from like a game mechanic point of view like um i hmm. think it's going to be stamina bars you think oh, so uh, yeah so stamina bars are something that irritate the hell out of me they're in loads of games they're everywhere and the reason they're there is to show us that you're about to run out of your run speed or your jump mm -hmm. or whatever yeah i i think that we're starting to get to a stage where we're not seeing stamina bars anymore like if you look at breath of the world for example it's only there briefly it's that little green circle yeah yeah and they're starting to get less and less obvious. Um, Fortnite is a really good example because you can only jump so many times in Fortnite before you can't jump anymore. Oh, really? I, I didn't know, but there is a hidden stamina bar. Yeah. So they're already starting to kind of disappear. And, and, and that to me is probably one that while I hate them, them being there allows me to plan out like my path and my move and stuff. And I think, okay, so I need to get from A to B and I've only got so much stamina bar. When do I kind of reload it and let it, let it recharge? I feel so, like this is a complaint from most people, though, because it feels like something, the game design, is stopping you from playing the game. Yeah. Because if I want to run for a long time, I need to get to somewhere. They're stopping me from running, and therefore it takes me longer to get where I need to be. But it's, a, it's an element of realism, isn't it? Because no one can run for, forever. 
the people can run more than 20 paces on average i'm I'm, 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 I'm I'm like well this is a very uh very fit character i mean (laughs) i mean i'm in the gym like four days a week now and i still can't do much but like it's an element of realism but then there's also that idea of metagaming where sometimes you just have to accept that the rules in the game world are slightly different to the rules in the real world because the game needs to be fun not necessarily fully realistic but in a game like mass effect i think it's more realism than fun yeah for sure aside from that awful vehicle thing the the mako is oh, it the mako i think so oh, yeah god when that thing pops up and you're like oh cool the driving mechanic and then it's not fun at all it's like tank controls in a car which yeah. is odd yeah um not a fan I, of that i have my answer um, i have my answer go. for this and it is the ability to pet animals in video games so big thing now. can't you do big that for now. most video games you can but you couldn't in the past right and soon, and now, and you know, we still have a Twitter account called "Can You Pet the Dog," and it just posts <laughs> pictures of animals in video games, and it just says yes or no, okay. And until okay. we get to a point where they can no longer post no. Also, another side note, which is great, is that there are games which are patching the ability to pet animals into their game <laughs> as part of this. Um, like, there's sort of a reason there, though, because the can you pet the dog thing is now heavily marketed. Uh, yeah, it's a right? heavily marketed thing. Yeah. So being able to pet a dog gets you featured on tons of news websites. So... Mm, exactly right but then as soon as that's just going to become the norm and then if you can't pet the dog like for example in games where you can't jump that's now like people like what the hell i can't jump now Mm. it's going to be a thing of being like what the hell i can't pet the dog (laughs) you know so there you go there's that there's the the new standard that's just gonna be the the norm that's a that's a very good answer (laughs) and i think the the stamina bar also fits to the life screen mm. because we don't have lives really in games well, that much lives anymore. are a dying concept now yeah. right? they are a dying health concept well. yeah well health not so much or but re- um health bars i guess we have like regenerating health and stuff it's uh it's kind of coming back anyway but yeah, yeah, yeah that's like a well, look at crash bandicoot and mario odyssey you don't have you don't really have lives anymore you that's just true. have coins and you, or you immediately go back to where you died there's no real punishment in death anymore yeah um it's interesting like this is making me think like Damn it, Charlie! <laughs> that's, a deep, that's a deep. That's a deep. There's a deep design conversation there because there's, a, there's some really because... good videos as well. But yeah, sorry, go on, Charlie. Is it because of kind of the tradition from arcade games? Is that purely the reason why there's lives? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the money maker, wasn't it? That was how you made people spend. I mean, cause Ollie was talking last week about time crisis. Was it time crisis? Yeah, time crisis. Yeah. And how you effectively funded. Um, <laughs> Nam- Namco. Yes, Namco. Oh, my brain's not working this week. Namco uh, through their. First financial quarter. Ollie was actually the reason. That, that. was it. it was, yeah, it was just me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, l- lives were clearly a mechanic that came out of someone going, "Okay, we want to put video games in this space, uh, but we also need to make money out of them. How do we do that?" And someone went, "Let's charge people to play them by mm-hmm. limiting their experience and killing them." Woo! Mm-hmm. Obviously, someone looked at Ghouls and Ghosts and went, "There's a million dollar idea right there," because that game. Oh my god! Have you played Ghouls and Ghosts? I. I have watched people play the new one that came out, and it just looks so messed up in terms of difficulty. But it looks fun, as in, like for me, I'm looking at it and I'm like, I want, I kind of want, I kind of want to play it. But then I'm also Charlie, a masochist, so. Gosh, <laughs> Charlie, have you played it, Ghouls and Ghosts, or Super Ghouls and Ghosts? I've heard of it. I have not played it. No, Awful. not good. It's, it's a, it's an amazing game. Like, like it genuinely is a, a feat of amazing gaming. But it's, it's the Dark Souls of platformers. Yeah, yeah, basically. 
Also, we have gone so off topic from the things, but okay, can I, mean, I bring great, it back to animation? Yeah, go on. Go well, on. Well, we were on animation, but then we've got like five of the subjects. It's okay. Going. Yeah, go back to animation. Go, go back to go, animation. Go. Okay, I have I have one last thing. Um, especially Ollie, I know you're a League of Legends player. Ah, yes. And it fits into that in terms of animation versus responsiveness. Mm. Oh. Yeah. And do. You, do you like things to look really pretty, or do you like them to be responsive? It depends on the context of the game. So, like, obviously, if it's, like, a story game and stuff, then you want it to just look beautiful and pretty and all these other things. But if it's, like, a high-stress, like, competitive game and stuff like that, then, yeah, responsiveness is super important. And readability as well. So, like, you know, if something... If you see an animation, and especially in fighting games, and, it like, you know, for example, it looks like someone is punching someone, but actually, it's a kick... Then you're like, well, that's kind of like, what? What's going on here? Or like, you know, in terms of, I guess a more realistic example is like, someone hits you with a mid kick in Tekken, but it's actually like in the code, it's actually a high. So it looks so, it looks like you should block it one way, but you should actually block it the other way. And then that, that, I mean, mm-hmm. that even adds into like strategy, right? Where you like trick people into doing things just based on like animations that look the same. Yeah. Like, so, but. Going back to like responsiveness, yeah. I mean, I I, I personally favour responsiveness over like things looking nice, but that's because I'm a nerd when it comes to like playing these games. So, yeah. I was watching a GDC talk, and it was interesting to see. I think it might have actually been about League of Legends. Is doing the anticipation after you do the hit, mm. which is not what you would normally do in animation. If you think about like you're punching someone you bring your fist into your body first and then send out the punch. But to make it happen faster, you just do the punch yep. and then you yep. do the wind up to end on so yeah. that the follow through. you still get that feeling of like the weight to the animation, but you get that responsiveness as well. Yeah. Okay. That's, there's hmm. a really interesting, it's a, it's a really interesting topic. And there's like a lot of old school games where like, especially when moves or like attacks hit in like, the very first frame or something like that but then like have like a weird but they still have the wind-up animation so even in even though it looks like they're still doing like a full swing of something because it hit on the first frame the rest of the animation doesn't really matter so you get into mm-hmm. in a lot of old games when people play them in like speed runs and stuff like that where you can cancel animations it looks like they're just kind of standing still but they're actually like because they're like doing an attack and then like moving forward but they're actually throwing out like attacks, so it looks really stupid. It looks like people just walking, walking towards people. So League of Legends probably had that problem, uh, in the sense that like, because yeah, like most of the attacks come out like very quickly. Um, so like making that readable is like impossible. So yeah, you have mm-hmm. to do like the follow through instead of the anticipation. But, yeah. Oh, sorry. I really love talking about this stuff. <laughs> this is like my my bread and butter. But well, in the interest of time, we yes. should probably move on to the next point, which is edutainment games. And Ollie brought this up last mm. week as a kind of an interesting point, and it got me thinking a lot. I mean, I've got some in mind, but um, so yeah, the, the, for people listening, edutainment games are things that were very popular in the late '90s and early '90s uh, that usually came on CD-ROM or similar, uh, and they were like PC-based. Or, there was some on the Amiga as well, but mostly were PC-based. Uh, and there were games that intended to teach young children how to play, uh, not how to play video games, uh, how to do like the alphabet or learn about health or learn about something, something, something. One in particular that I played was a game called Dr. Healthenstein's Body Fun, which was uh, a, 
Ollie's face shows me that he may remember this. No, I'm just very. I just love the name. Please tell me all about so this I, game. I want to give. I want to give you both homework, and I also want to give everyone some homework here, and that is to just look up the video uh, that comes with this game. And it was this thing. So the, the whole game is you going through the the life of a human being and and learning about the problems that can happen at every stage of your life. Okay. And it goes really well until you get to the teenage years when it gets all like, oh, you can have sex and there's STDs and stuff. And you go through this tunnel, which is called the Tunnel of Problems or whatever it was. And there's oh this kind of jester, this big fat-headed jester that pops up, but it's a man. Like, it's actually a human man that's just been filmed in, like, a fisheye lens with a jester hat on. And he, he talks about doing drugs and cocaine and heroin and stuff. And I'm like, I am the same age of the character in this game and none of these problems have come at me. Like, this does not seem well-targeted, because the rest of it was all targeted at, like, middle to upper-lower-class teens, and then suddenly there was heroin, cocaine, cannabis, like all this other stuff, and I was just like, whoa, this game has lost its target a little bit, but I'll, I'll send you the link to it so you can look it out, and you can just see how weird it was, but uh, you guys, I've talked oh, forever. You guys oh, tell me about God. the edutainment games that you played when you were young, because I've got so many of them. All right, Charlie, you go. Tell us. Oh my gosh. We were, we were going to talk mildly about Mario, but the one I remember most was The Lion King, where it was kind of like five different mini-games or so, and you would click on, I don't know, the Pride Rock or something, and it would take you into a game for that section. And Rafiki told you how to sit properly at your computer and where to put your hands, and the kind of like where your head should be and such. And then there were also like word games and some sort of tic-tac-toe type thing. Mm. But it was very interesting because you don't... (laughs) You don't see this anymore, and why? I just... I guess... Uh, I mean, there's an easy answer to that. It's because most of the entertainment stuff has moved to YouTube. Mm. Like, there's no point buying uh, a resource for a child anymore when you can just throw them in front of a tablet or a phone and put on like 300 hours of YouTube videos that are dedicated to teaching. I mean, there's a very uh, famous meme about an old woman singing about avocados. Do you know this? Yes. <laughs> Feel the avocado. Guacamole. Oh so she is actually genuinely thinks that she's teaching kids something. I mean, it's, she's obviously off a, off a rocker. Um, but there's, there's a whole world of YouTube stuff out there dedicated to that. Like, also, there's the Game Master YouTube channels where... It all gets weird. Like, don't get into this stuff. If you've got kids or you've got friends that have got kids, you'll see little corners of this weirdness, and it's it's, it's a strange place. Something I think we would all vouch for as game lovers is it's not the same as playing a game. No. Um, No. The perfect example being a a game that I played when I was young, which was an edutainment game called Casper's Brainy Book. And uh, there was a series of of these games uh, that were very... Uh, popular and it was like point and click pop-up books effectively so you'd get given a series of screens in and this one particularly was about the casper movie so you follow the storyline of the casper movie but you do it in little single screens where you click on stuff and stuff happens Mm. and it was just so memorable all the stuff i I don't know what i was being taught like because it was it was mainly just weird stuff going on like you click on something and the the uncles would pop out of a bathtub and start singing an opera or something but then there was another one called Jan Pienkowski's Haunted House, which was like a, an artifact of the time. So it was a super popular pop-up book that became a video game, and it was this amazingly well-done video game. And it was all point-and-click again, and there was loads of these. So I, w- I would recommend checking out... Was it Casper's Brainy Book? Hang on, I'm going to Google this. Mm. I'm going to see if that's actually the game. This is something that's been lost to time. 
Very I will much. never be an experience like the edutainment games. Yeah, yeah. like exactly. Yeah. There's, I guess it's just that, yeah, like nineties, early noughties, like sort of like edutainment games where it's just like got this very specific style of animation and look. Like all of these things, and they just look super cheaply made. Yeah, like, like cheaply made, yeah. and like. God, there were so many of them, and I remember I just I just love like talking to people about these edutainment games because there's so many of them because they're so niche, and also no one remembers the names of these things because like except <laughs> for Doctor Healthenstein's Body Fun, yeah. which what the hell? Um, but yeah, like I have like so many weird like bizarre memories of edutainment games I used to play when I was a kid, like loads of maths ones and um, like counting ice creams and like going oh to a gosh, circus. Oh my gosh, I remember a maths one. Yeah. There's like Addie Boo, by any chance? Addie Boo? That what? Addie Boo was a maths and English one. It was the alien that taught you maths and English. It was a massively popular series. It might because there were there were more than one. I had like a collection of them. them. There was there was literally hundreds of them. There was Addie Boo ABC, Addie Boo One Two Three, Addie Boo learns not to go through London at ten o'clock beyond in the evening. (laughs) Um, Addie Boo goes to Hyde Park for the first and last time. All these different things. You, the okay. last two may not be real, by the way. <laughs> do you think it is saturation of the market? Or I do know there are apps that are like trying to teach kids things, but again, I don't think an app can replicate the same thing as like an actual computer game. It's just yeah. a different experience. I think it's because of apps. Like apps, apps are cheaply made, easy to make. There's no publishing involved. You just throw them online. Um, whereas CD-ROMs and, and software... You have to distribute it. You need a publisher, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and because these games were so cheaply made at the time, that kind of stuff was actually quite cheap to get hold of because it was all outsourced and easily easily obtainable. Mm. Now there isn't really people making CD-ROMs and there isn't really people mm. doing like global publishing for smaller franchises and smaller things. It's only big stuff now that people want. And I don't think entertainment games really have a big audience anymore. True, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't think there's the impetus to, to get in there and, and play anything. Like, um, It's more about... I think parents just want to give their kids something easy that's already done. Mm. Um, like I don't know, I'm not a parent. I I can't judge, although mm. I will because that's me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'll that's send you two links shame. in the uh, in the Sunfire Tavern chat. One for Casper Brainy book, so you can see the animation style and the music. And then the other one is the Doctor Helfenstein thing that I was talking about. You can watch it now and just get an idea, like <laughs> just to give you an. The thumbnail of this video is it's horrifying, it's isn't it? Sending me right yep. now <laughs> that is in a kids game an actual kids game and that is horrifying that thing is jesus christ okay. yeah i'm just i'm watching charlie's face just change now <laughs> she's going through that experience i went through when i was 13 which is <laughs> what the hell is this who would buy this for their kids apparently my parents would buy it. well so this was actually a, a demo not a demo disc it was a a disc that we found in like Asda on one of those like three ninety nine stands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All games are three ninety nine. My mum was like, "Oh, my son likes video games. He'll love this." No, mum, if you're listening, no, wrong. <laughs> Don't shop in Asda for my video games, please. All right. Are you segueing us into demo disc? Because Ollie's very excited. I was going to segue us into demo disc again in the interest of time, but I know uh, we still. Want, I mean, we touched on Mass Effect, but we can talk. Can we touch briefly on the esports betting stuff and also the Chromie stuff? Because I didn't hear about the Chromie stuff, and I think that's really great that Blizzard are going, coming out and supporting yes. that. Yeah, like diversity, um, right? So- so I could talk briefly about the esports betting thing. So apparently there's been a patent um, uh, registered by Sony to allow people to bet on esports through the through the PlayStation console, mm. which takes us to a new step in gaming, which is esports traditionally have just been enjoyable to watch with a 
baseline subscription attached with some Twitch stuff, and you can buy tickets on Twitch to watch it. That was about as far as the monetization went, mm-hmm. other than merchandise. Now there's a gambling element, so we're now turning gaming into gambling. Yeah. How do you guys feel about that? Uh, I think esports betting is like been around for as in like you know it's been around as people will bet on anything if you let them right so like i think it's been around but in terms of like being like, like super popularized because i know there's like companies like bet in the uk at least like betway and stuff like that that do, yeah yeah that will do like yeah. esports betting or like they'll have like small esports like uh groups within them but um yeah in terms of it being like accessible on an actual platform like a console i think that's a pretty big step into you know sort of like getting it into people's like pe- people being aware of it I guess you know uh, that esports betting exists, um, but yeah, like uh, I think it's okay. I guess as long as it doesn't like get abused or like people who do it, you know, kids don't stop using it, stuff like that. Yeah, is it know? going to be difficult to not have kids on it? Because mm. I know there must be some sort of restrictions, but people always find a way around. Sure. Yes, yeah, so I, would, I would imagine there's going to be age gated restrictions and stuff. But it's literally just that I spotted it in the news that they've registered this pattern so a similar thing as well another pattern that's been registered by ea is um so we've got battle passes and season passes now they've now registered a pattern to make um uh changing season passes and battle passes so you can choose which track you go down and it's just this week has been a week of patterns for me because they're not been announced m- m- happening in the news so mm. we've got this gambling one and then we've got this season pass one so it does seem that companies are not only trying to get more money out of people they're trying to be a bit more focused on what money's coming out of people mm. like you know we want you to give us gambling money or we want you to give us money for the enjoyment of this part of the season pass that you go back and maybe spend it again and do the other path i don't know like i'm I'm kind of lost in this one but um... to me it feels strange that games are becoming more and more real essentially because they're in does it feel weird to you that we've lived through the age where when you were younger it was like oh you're such a nerd yeah. and now <laughs> It's super cool. Yeah, I still get people calling me a nerd. I, I, yep. it's, but it's it's fine because I'm a nerd that now has a full on career in video games. So, <laughs> yeah, who's a nerd? I, but there used to be this me. kind of like negative connotation to it, and now yeah. games are known by everyone mm-hmm. to an extent. Yeah, it's nice because, um, but I have this kind of old crotchety man feeling towards this as well, where I'm more like. It used to be not cool to play video games, and in that, I found out the cool thing about it. Like, it was not cool to play it, and I was doing something that was a bit mm. frowned upon or something. And now, all the popular kids are playing it, and all the fancy, handsome YouTubers and pretty Instagram uh, like influencers, they're all doing it too. And I'm like, it's kind of... It's, it's like marring what gaming is because a lot of people are now using it as their like personal brand or whatever i mean i'm sitting here talking on a podcast about video games and complaining about people <laughs> using it for their personal brand quite well aware of how uh um so, ironic that is yes yeah um but you know like pe- people are i do get the feeling a lot of people are kind of using them as a front just to kind of push their brand without really being involved in the culture and whatever mm. uh but i could also just be ancient and be being grumpy so who knows um, like I'm well aware now that we're doing this on video because Charlie's uh, reminded us to do the video thing, which we've not been doing for the past few weeks because me and Ollie are really lazy. I'm looking at my skin. And I'm like, I'm really old. <laughs> oh, oh no! Fuck, you're not that old, buddy. No, I'm not you're at not all. I, I, I judge myself for being old, mm. but um, it's fine. It's fine. It's perfectly fine. Um, but we could sit here and listen to me lament about time. Or speaking of time, 
That's really good little uh, sick up there. Chromie from the World of Warcraft. Yeah. Uh, recently, uh, one of the writers, I want to say one of the lead writers for the game, has come out and exclaimed that Chromie is officially transgender, mm. which is a massive win for the transgender community. Having uh, a core, much beloved central law character like Chromie um, be a representative of, at the moment, what is quite a, tro a troubled community, a community that is at risk and suffering from all these problems from all these different places. Um, that's a win. That's a big win to me. I don't know how you guys feel about this. Um, I would hope positive. Yeah, I think it's great. Like, I don't, I don't have a strong attachment to the World of Warcraft um, lore or, you know, the characters and all these other things, but I think, you know, more inclusion like this i think is is good as long as like i hope the reception to it has been good as well and that people aren't being you know of course you're going to have a contingent of the internet that's going to be massive dicks about it but you know like i'm i'm hopeful that you know this is being received well because i haven't seen uh anything about about this very well. myself very yeah. very well that's good it's been, yeah it's been received very well yeah um Charlie, question... have you read... go ahead my question to this is that why is this not happening more because every time it happens once, it's this very much like, look at this magical one thing that happened. Is it a game design thing? Is it because people are scared of audience reactions as to why this is not a common occurrence? So it's option B. It's absolutely option B as well. Um, there is a, a third element to it, which is where a lot of games and a lot of game developers, designers and games companies are only really working on franchises. They're only working on things that are... Like the things that you hear about tend to be the bigger games, the AAAs and stuff that have been around for 10, 15, 20 years. And these are games that have been written in the 90s and the 80s and stuff when uh, non-gender conformist and LGBTQIA plus storylines weren't really a thing. Mm -hmm. Like being gay in games at that point was always the super camp, like theater mm -hmm. dude who was like, oh, you know, like, you know, the, the stereotype, yeah. which I don't like to repeat because, you know, it affects my community as well. Um, and being in the LGBTQIA plus community. Uh, it's great to see that we're getting this representation, but a lot of people in my community don't like it because they say that it's um, virtue signaling, which is something we saw immediately after Black Lives Matter, where suddenly every company was putting like the person of color representative right to the front of their company, almost to the point of like, okay, we get mm -hmm. it, this is great, but you're overdoing it. Mm -hmm. But, and this is my argument, we did exactly the same thing for gay people in the 90s. Suddenly, gay people were everywhere. They were There was two gay men giving each other rings in Swatchkoff adverts. Is that the name of the jeweler? Swatchkoff? I think so. The jeweler? Yeah? Yeah. There were... In McDonald's, uh, gay dads were sitting together. There was never, never women. It was always men. But it, it got ridiculous, and they were everywhere, and suddenly it became okay. Like, there was just this sudden flip to it being okay because it was really overdone. And if that has to happen to the transgender community or to the, you know, the Black Lives Matter group, if that's how it has to happen, then I'm for it. I'm for the virtue signaling because mm. it forces the conversation. Mm. Um, I will go off forever on this, so please stop me. But tell me how you feel about this. Like, what do you think? There's no wrong opinion. Well, there are wrong opinions, but I don't think <laughs> Um, I mean, it's, it's hard for me, like, like, my opinion as, uh, I guess in quotation marks, outsider, because, I mean, I'm not in any of the, I'm not part of an LGBTQI plus, uh, sort of community, but, you know, from an outsider perspective, and as someone who's quite open-minded and accepting of all these things, yeah, I think this is great, and as long as, like, the communities themselves are responding in a positive way, then all power to them, right, you know, like, I support you know more diversity and inclusion in games in stories like it just makes for way more interesting experiences and narratives and you know mm -hmm. like that's how we 
evolve, I guess, almost, you know, in terms of, like, not just games and stuff like that, but, you know, like, just generally being more accepting of different... Being open-minded as, like, people, right? Now we're getting to, like, weird philosophy stuff. But, um, this, you know, like, yeah. This is why I love the games industry, because I've met so many different people that I wouldn't meet in different industries and everyone is so open mm. and much more chill and and so much is kind of accepted in the games industry than there would be elsewhere for sure yeah it's, it's one of the places so i mean I, I famously have told ollie multiple times on the podcast that i lived in a bubble for 10 years i lived in france i lived pretty much away from the world because we lived in this time locked situation where we didn't really interact with the real world we just interacted it through a game interacted with it through a game sorry um and in that space i realized that my thinking kind of remained in the 90s and for someone mm. in that community like in one of those communities to be stuck in that old mindset is quite problematic and it took me some time to like relearn the world like i, I moved to my job in london which i'm not going to mention what it is but people know where i work whatever um and someone i worked with was um i want to say transgender i might be wrong that they were either transgender or they were questioning um and they they literally went home one day and then the next day they came in and they were a woman and i was like that's a bit weird like what's going on there like they didn't tell anyone they were going to do that and for me to go to that thinking immediately was like hang on i'm the problem here like i'm i'm in the wrong here i need to rethink what i'm doing so i reached out to people in my community and i was like look um i work with someone who's transgender i think they're transgender i haven't spoken to them directly um and i want to facilitate and actually be supportive how do I do that? Help me transgender people, like teach me to not be an idiot anymore. Yeah. And it was it was a difficult process to go through because there was a lot of things that had been ingrained in my mind from so many years of just being away from that culture. Mm -hmm. It was difficult to kind of understand that it was just about being like, you know, don't be a dick about it. Just be cool. Like, it's it's but, cool. Like That's the that's all it is at the end of the day, right? Yep. Because it is not anyone's responsibility to teach you how to be nope. about stuff, whether that's good or bad it is your responsibility to look into that stuff. Exactly. Not you personally. Also, you No, no, personally. no, it, it was on me. It was on <laughs> me. But it, it, was, it was about being taught. Like, I, I literally reached out to people that I knew that were, were in that community, and I said, hey, like, I want some advice. Like, can you help me? Um, because I don't want to be an asshole to this person who's obviously done something really difficult. I want to mm -hmm. be comfortable. Like, what do I do? How do I talk to them? And they were just like, just be cool. And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. So I walked around with my glasses on, smoking a cigarette. I was like, hey, <laughs> really misunderstood what they meant and didn't work. Um, but I'm not saying that I was a bigot or anything. I just, I wanted to understand more. Mm. And I, I do wish more people out there had this kind of thirst for knowledge to be like, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I need to rethink my way. Yeah. Like the, the amount of times you probably heard, oh, uh, I'm not being racist, but, or uh, you can't say this anymore. And it's like, don't continue with that sentence. You're the problem now. Mm. Like, just shut up. And, and you like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, the world's a different place. Yeah. Do you sure. think the internet has helped with this? Hundred <laughs> percent. Yes and no. Yeah. It's helped with it, and it's also destroyed a lot of stuff as well. So. Yeah. Like as much as the internet is a tool for like broadcasting people for like awareness and having all of these information out there, and you know people can't you know you can read about all these people's stories, and you know also just literally talk to people who experience these things you know like to learn and be open-minded about yeah. these things right um you know at the same time you also get exposed to the more bigoted people who are opposed to that and it also gives them a place to share their stories and group and all of these other things so it's kind of like a double-edged sword in that regard but um you know it it's you know factually correct to say that yes the internet has helped people be more aware of these things um whether that's for good or bad 
I guess is. Well, uh, I guess we'll see as time goes on. Yeah. Um, but as time's going on, uh, the last <laughs> point in our. <laughs> I'm getting good at these segues. It's always the same one though. Uh, the other point is just a really brief one, really really quick. Is that there's a friends reunion happening on uh, May 27th. It's official. It's uh, been teased by HBO. The entire friends cast are finally getting back together for a reunion, which is a show that I mean we're talking about problematic stuff. Uh, it's a show that has been seen as quite problematic since it was aired. Like, what is it, like 20 years ago now? Um, mm. Obviously, the thinking in that show then has changed quite dramatically to what the world is now. And it would be super interesting to see that group get back together and talk about their life experience and stuff. Because I can imagine being the most recognized faces in the world and then suddenly going to no one knowing who you are is a very difficult transfer to make. Like, uh, I'll be interesting to see more about that. I'm also super excited because I was a big fan of Friends. I don't know if you guys uh, have seen anything about this or you're into this at all, or even if you yes. care. I, I did grow up with Friends having older sisters, even though I didn't know what any of the jokes meant. And I remember asking my dad, hey, what what is porn? <laughs> <laughs> and he had a very awkward <laughs> situation there. Because you don't, like, when you're a kid, you don't know these things. Yep. And no, you don't. Like making jokes about stuff, and you're like, "Yeah, lol." <laughs> also, you've got laughter tracks as well, so you know when to laugh, but you don't yeah. know why. <laughs> Which is something super weird about American mm. TV, like because uh, British TV doesn't tend to use laughter tracks as much, and American TV does. Um, you'll watch some of the shows, and you're like, "I'm laughing at this because they're laughing," but I didn't get that joke. Like yeah. mm. the reference will be something about American TV or like something from American culture, and I'll be like, "Ha ha ha!" ha, ha hang on, mm. <laughs> I'm being told to laugh it, but I just thought that was super interesting because that's coming up. But, yeah. Ollie, um, okay. we have a new section. So, for our listeners, we've decided to work on a new section, which we're calling Nostalgia Bite. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a few minutes to talk about, or hours, depending on how much we get into this. Talk about something from Gaming Past or Media Past that is either gone, no longer available, or something that gives us a bit of nostalgia. Yeah. And this week's subject is Demo Discs. Mm-hmm. So, Ollie and Charlie, Demo Discs. All right. So... I have very specific memories of this one demo disc that I used to go to. I never had a PlayStation, but I used to go to my friend's house, and he had a PS1. And we used to play this this demo disc game, and it was like a top-down fighting game where you shot magic at each other, and there was one fire character and one ice character, and you fought on like a big, like sort of like open plains kind of thing. Um, and I remember playing that for like hours and hours and hours with this guy just like we go to his house after school and we just play it and i did not know the name of this game for the longest time and i only found out about it recently the name of the game is destrago and it was just like a wave of nostalgia watching this gameplay of of this game and being like you know all these memories of going to my friend's house and drinking like orange juice and just playing destrago for hours and then i went back and emulated it and played it and that but Obviously not with the same guy, with like a different friend, and I just he came over to my house and we played it. This was before COVID, I guess. Um, but I was just thinking about it recently. Um, and yeah, we ended up just playing it again for hours, and it turns out that it was just a really, really good, like dumb game. I, you know what? I can't really say it's a good game. It's really dumb. It's really funny, uh, and it was uh, just surprising. And I was just wanted to know, like. So, in terms of demo disc games, do you guys have any like weird specific memories of of, of these games? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. McDonald's PlayStation. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think it, I was missing a disc for so long. I'm sure they just like didn't give that out to certain places because I was so desperate to collect all four, and I just could not. 
Even though I kept going back to McDonald's for my Friday treat. Happy meal, wasn't it? You got it with a happy meal, is that right? Yes. Sounds yeah. about right. There was demo one, two, three, and four, and they were in. Each one had its own specific, like, strong color. So it was like. Um... Oh, God, I'm even trying to remember what games one. There was, like, Rayman on it, and. Uh... Yeah, one had Ape Escape. It did. Uh, Afterburner was on there as well. Ridge Racer? I want to say Ridge Racer? Might be wrong. Cool Borders 3 or 4, Destruction Derby. Uh, yes, I remember yeah. Destruction Derby. I remember playing Destruction Derby on that on a on a demo disc a lot at my friend's house as well. That was a great game. It was like Destruction I mean, Derby 2. Those, those demos from McDonald's were on part. So I had a similar experience with Pizza Hut. Mm. So I had the Pizza Hut demos. You buy pizza, you get a demo disc, and they have some amazing games on. But um, So um, now, now that you've brought this up, there's actually a YouTuber that I love called Nakey Jakey, um, who does a video specifically about demo discs, the Pizza Hut demo discs yeah. themselves. And he was doing it, and I was like, why do I recognize all this stuff? And it's because... The, the American versions of the demo disc and the European ones, they had their content remixed, but what he was oh. talking about was in sort of like out of order, but in my memory. Uh, so I remember the McDonald's ones, and I remember the Pizza Hut ones as well. Uh, but for me, the, the most memorable one was Demo 1 on the play, PlayStation 1, uh, which was the tech demo that came bundled in with your PlayStation console. Oh. And it came with Wipeout, Loaded, Destruction Derby, and Ballerina to Shinden. And then oh, videos yeah. for like upcoming games, and the, one of the videos was for Tekken One. Um, they also had like a dinosaur that you could, like a big T Rex that you could animate and make its mouth open and go. Rah, rah, rah. For anyone that can't see me, because <laughs> no one can see me, I'm making a T Rex dash with my hand. And then there was the Manta Ray as well, which had this like cool music and it would like float around. Um, but I mean, I could talk for hours about demos because there's uh, so many of them. Like they yeah. also used to do this thing as well where they'd package a demo with another game. So, uh, Konami did it with Silent Hill and Metal Gear Solid, I think? Mm. Was it Silent Hill and Metal Gear? I might be wrong there. Was it Silent Hill and Metal Gear Solid? I'm pretty sure they were packaged there, across. There was so... definitely a Metal Gear Solid demo. I remember that. Yeah, because yeah. that, that, that was groundbreaking, that demo was, because you got to play the whole of the first section of the game up to where well, the, the Dapper Chief. Dapper Chief, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the Dapper Chief... <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So... Survives for the rest of the game, and he's happy now, and he's still alive. <laughs> With his kids. Mm. Was this life, not quite expensive for companies to do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the marketing cost of these demo discs was, was insane because they were bundled with like other massive brands. Like Coca-Cola would do demo discs as well. Um, but then again, there was a lot of cross-promotion. So uh, Final Fantasy IX famously did a cross-promotion with Coca-Cola um, where they remade the intro to the game. And these intros were like massive CGI cinematics that probably cost millions of dollars at the time. And the Coca-Cola company went in and went, can we just put a Coke bottle top in the intro that bounces around and the character's chasing it? They oh did my that. Gosh. Yeah, and, and I remember watching it. I, remember, I actually remember that trailer more than I remember the intro to the game. Which is, I mean, that's good advertising. So that's, if, yeah, that's marketing for yep. you. <laughs> yeah. So if if there was a marketing cost attached to it, that's a successful marketing cost. That's a good return on investment. Uh, none of us work in marketing, by the way. We have no marketing experience. We've never worked <laughs> for big marketing corporations. We don't know what we're talking about. Don't take our advice. But also take part in the Kickstarter for Dreamworld. It's legit. It's great. Do not get in there. Do, do not, not do that. Do not. Do not. Do What's happened with that lately, as a quick oh, aside? It's, it's my favorite internet TV series now. Like, it, it's better than EastEnders. It's so cool to watch. Um, so they're now being sued, yep. which is <gasps> awesome. Like, it's kicked off into so much more fun. Um, 
the creators of the assets that were stolen, not paid for, so these are the unreal assets that nearly everyone has, but they have to pay for the asset packs. The creators of the assets have decided to step forward and say, we're suing you because you've stolen our assets. You're not giving us credit for them. You're claiming that they're your own. So it's gone oh to like God. a whole new level. And those two guys that run the Kickstarter have completely disappeared. Oh my God. They've gone <gasps> silent. But so the Piesta Resistance is coming up. In, in a week's time, they are launching the game's alpha, which is impossible because the game's not been in development. There's no development on this game. Oh boy. But they are launching the alpha in two weeks' time. And they came out last week and said they're launching it. I can't wait to see what happens. I'm so excited. Like, it's the best thing. This, Dream, this is world. what you spoke about on the last podcast I was on, and yep. it's you were not thing. impressed. Nope. But it's my favorite thing now. Like Watching this crash and burn and explode like a dying star has just been... It's been lovely mm. watching it happen. Like Watching these two idiots get deeper and deeper into their scam and get busted for scamming. Oh, I love it. I'm so happy. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for... In two weeks' time, we're going to do another talk about what's happened yeah because i'm pretty sure we're about to see that company explode oh boy um but yeah in terms of like sorry i got sidetracked there a little bit and into dream world um what else can we talk about demos because these are things that don't exist anymore because most playstation magazines and video game magazines in general have kind of died a lot of them famously died in the last three or four years um is this the same as edutainment games hmm i don't know because so Sony have just cancelled their official PlayStation magazine and then replaced it with another one. So I don't know why they've done that. Because now, now I think it's called PlayStation Experience magazine. But um, Sony over the years, their, their official PlayStation magazine costs got, went up and up and up. And that always came with a demo disc of like, you know, playable demos. But mm -hmm. demos can now be obtained through the internet super easily. And they're now being used as marketing tools. Well, they always have been, but they're now being used as like, if you pre-order our game, we'll give you the demo. Whereas traditionally it was you play the demo and then you decide to order the game. One one that I've played recently is called Backbone, and it's it's the prologue, and it is about you are a foxman detective. You have to solve essentially a missing person and find where he is. And the prologue is you trying to find this person, and it is very noir. It is really lovely pixel animation. Just, but it came uh, out a while ago, and the game still isn't complete. It's, well, it says on Steam, pro Prologue is free, so, but there yeah. isn't anything else to buy. There's nothing else to buy on top of that. No, it's not fully out yet. So a question I would like to give you is, how, is, it, is it ever too early to send a demo out there before yes. the game? Yeah, that, that's uh, so. You, I mean, that, that's a marketing uh, concept as well. Is you you only have a finite amount of time to talk about your game in this market. So if you announce something and then you take a year before that game's coming out, you're going to lose a ton of your prospective audience, like an absolute ton, because you build the hype, people pre-order, and then they get to the point where they're just like, "Well, I've got this pre-order for something, and this game doesn't exist. So I'm going to cancel it." The time is about six months. So. In, I mean, I'm actually wow. going through this process at the moment. I'm trying to work the, the optimal time out. I would say six months is your window. Mm. Because there's just so much stuff out there and so much stuff happening all the time. You don't really have the time to hype build, maintain that hype, and then sell. You've got to hype build and then sell. You don't have that maintenance period in the middle anymore. Yeah. Is this similar to... I know Cyberpunk had a lot of issues off the get-go, but 
wasn't it like years ago that they sent uh like a trailer multiple trailers that were not representative of the final product which is something ubisoft are really well known for doing as well yeah um particularly for watchdogs one they launched a trailer at, uh, at e3 which looked stunning and then the game didn't look anything like it it happens obviously development changes happen resources get limited all that kind of stuff so i think a lot of games companies have now learned that you have to kind of reduce your announcement to launch you yeah. can't you can't fill that gap anymore because there's just so many companies out there filling that space it's like when netflix was the only platform for watching videos online and now there's like 15 different streaming services you have to use the time that you've got allocated not use all the time anymore because mm. That that's the that's the commodity now is time. Like everyone is spending the currency of time in their own special way, and no one can afford to kind of replace it. Um, but that, that that's my opinion. I mean, I, I work in marketing, so this is a do big we, subject for me. Do we know too much? Is that essentially what an issue is? Because things will come out at E three years before it actually comes out for real. Um. I think we expect too much. Although I don't think we expect too much. Our expectations are right on the money because we should be getting cool stuff all the time. Like we're spoiled brats in the gaming industry, and we deserve more. <laughs> we we constantly deserve more. And like for example, there's there's a leak for a Nintendo Direct that's just happened, and uh, I'm not going to go over the leak content. We could probably talk about that next week. Um, but I mean, Nintendo are one of the few companies that are regularly announcing content all the time and releasing content all the time. But still, no matter when they do a Direct, it's always disappointing, and I'm disappointed every time. Because I go in expecting Wind Waker HD, and yep. I never get it. And if I don't get Wind Waker HD this time, I'm coming to you, Nintendo, and I'm going to... Has it not? I thought it already it's came out. Mad. It's on, no. it's on, um, it's on Wii U, it's on but Wii it's U. Still on Switch. The, the big positive there, though, is that they recently were stated in saying that every single game that was launched on the Wii U will be coming to the Switch. Oh, really? So everything. Okay. Yeah, so we're, we're going to get everything at some point. But I think Wind Waker HD is going to be when they have a marketing drop. Because yeah. that is going to be a massive seller. Mm. Like Skyward Sword, no one really cares about it. That's on its way. It's super expensive. And no one cares about that game because it's a bad Zelda game. Yeah. I'm sure people love it. It's not the best Zelda game. It's very boring. Wind Waker, however, flawless. Mm. Like, highly regarded as one of the best, if not the best Zelda game of all time. It's, it's my second favorite. Mm. Um... And it still looks beautiful. Yeah, that's the other thing. The art style's held up. For sure. So that is one thing that I remember when they announced the art style because it was just after they leaked a tech demo of like a beautiful looking version of Zelda, mm. and it was it was Zelda and uh, sorry it was it was Link. I nearly did it again then. <laughs> it was it was Link fighting Ganondorf in like fully rendered 3D in beautiful ultra realistic graphics, and we were like, "That's the next Zelda game. It's going to be amazing." And then they announced Wind Waker, and it was that like, you know, cell shaded 2.5D chibi style, and I was like, "This is shit. Nintendo can burn. I don't want this. <laughs> it's the worst." And it is honestly one of my favorite Zelda games of all time. It's I great love game. that game. Yeah. It's just so deep, and there's so much to do. And it had that photo system, which allowed you to keep going back and revisiting. Um, so, I mean, I'm certain I'm going off on one again here. Like, Nintendo are the company that regularly release content, and yet it's never enough for us. Mm. And I think what they do is they do this really good um, system of, like, doing directs and stuff, where, like, every month or two months, there's a little video. Like, hey, this is what's going on in our, in our company right now. Whereas Sony tend to go for the big beats, and the big beats are like... Horizon Zero Dawn 2 is coming out in two years, and it's like, yeah, I don't care anymore. And by the end of the video, you've already lost interest. Yeah. Because our attention spans are so low now and so limited. 
that I don't think any company can afford to really build that hype anymore. Do you feel oh, like God. we do expect too much? Yeah, we definitely. Yeah. I think game gamers in general, or I guess like people, yeah, there's definitely like a bar set, right? That um, or like have a lot of expectations of game developers and game companies stuff like that. And I think sometimes those expectations are a little bit high. They're a bit too high. Uh, I'm a, I am also biased as a game developer. Um, but that being said, that like Clark, you are right in terms of being like, yeah, gamers, like, you know, consumers do deserve the best, and you know, we should make sure that they have great experiences and all these other things. But do you yeah. know, that they're seventy dollars a piece. Yeah, which is fair. Games are which expensive. Which is not working. It's not working. The seventy dollar no. price tag hasn't worked. It's not landed. People are very unhappy with it. So I think we're going to see that reduced back down to fifty. Mm. Um, already, Resident Evil has been in a sale, and it's been out for like three or four days, and it went down to forty five dollars. Yeah, which is huge. Games. Games used to be that price back in the day when it would actually take you an hour long, but it was just a really hard game. Not true. Games were forty pounds. That was the that was the premium price of games. Really? Then they went up to fifty, and then fifty five was kind of where they sat. I remember forty was the premium, fifty five was the ultra premium, and twenty was the platinum range. Yeah. So these were games that were out, super popular, and then got relaunched like a few years later, and they were all nineteen ninety nine each. That was PlayStation 1, and then PlayStation 2 did a similar thing. But it's it's actually been a very long time since the price of game has jumped up this yeah. much. I, I, remember my parents, I remember my parents paying like £50 for Perfect Dark when I was super young, on the N64. And that was like premium, very expensive game. Mm-hmm. So um, N64 games have always been £40 and £50. Always. Yeah. yeah. Always, always. And that's just because Nintendo are very stubborn, but they also make very good quality games. So, yeah. I Do you know. think our expectations are high as well because things like The Witcher 3, which is a beloved video game because of how incredible it is, comes out and we're like, Cyberpunk is going to be the same, but yep. better. And it wasn't. And then everyone gets angry. <laughs> well, I wonder if it's because we're growing up as well that we're starting to understand our expectations a little bit more. Like we know what the value of money is now and we know what it costs to buy a video game. Like when we were, k- were kids, spending 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds on a video game didn't mean anything to us because we didn't know the value of money. Now we know that that money could go on paying our rent or our mortgages or whatever, um, and we know what to spend it on. Um, but also, so do you remember when Skyrim came out? Um, that game. On part- which thing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the first time, the first time Skyrim came out, I remember I paid thirty pounds for it, and that's a game that I've easily got thousand plus hours out of, like way more than thirty pounds. But to me, thirty pounds was the right price tag for that game. If they tried to charge me 50 for it, which is what it was on the Switch, no thank you. Mm. And I'd say the same about Cyberpunk and the same about The Witcher. I think 30, 40 pounds is the right space for a game. Because the way I compare it is, you compare it to the price of a cinema ticket, but you don't compare by the hours of entertainment. Because mm. a movie, you get two hours of entertainment for, for 10 or 15 pounds. That's, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Whereas a game, you get 6, 12, 24, or infinite hours of entertainment for... 40 or at most 45 pounds and i think that's that's a valid amount mm. i don't think you should start then breaking a game down and say well this game's got a thousand hours in it so it must be worth a thousand pounds no mm. that's not how gaming works which is sort of the model of Fortnite if you think about it because you buy the battle pass you buy all the regular content you end up excuse me you spend up spending thousands on that game yeah so from a, a i guess an industry question if if games were lowered in price, would that damage the industry? 
Hmm. I don't think so, because you, you look at how much money these executives are pulling away and how much the investors are making. Yeah. And yet the companies themselves, the people are still not getting paid much more. Hmm. I, I They're think... probably getting paid similar to what they were 10 years ago. Yeah. I think it's very much like a... There, obviously, the cost of making video games has increased as they get more complicated. And, you know, I'm talking about AAA here. You know, you look at yeah, like, games like The Last of Us 2 and stuff like that. And, you know, it takes a lot of money to make those kinds of games and those kinds of experiences. But uh, in terms of, yeah, like, you can't. I, I, I think you can reduce the price point and still make a game profitable, you know, kind of thing. By, like Clark said, you know, sometimes. There are sometimes investors, or sometimes these high, you know, people who are very high up in companies are being paid an exorbitant amount of money, and that, you know, you, they don't need to earn that much, like even a percentage of that much. Yeah. Like when they're getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars, and if you think like your wage over your lifetime is not even a percentage of hundreds of millions of dollars, and yet you survive, yeah, exactly. These investors don't need to be making that much money, but but that's a bigger conversation. Yeah, like, exactly. We, yeah. We can, we we could do five podcasts talking about that. Yeah, that's like a big um, big topic. But it, but you know, I think there's also like you know you don't. I think this is you know th- this sort of higher price point for games. I think I talked about this in previous weeks. But you know, like indie games and all these other smaller companies are now being able to break through and be like, hey, you know, you can get this kind of experience. It might not be as highly high quality or polished and that kind of stuff, or as like popular, you know, kind of thing. But at a much more accessible price point, and some indie games are still like. Better than AAA games, in my opinion. Undertale, of, yeah, yeah. In terms it's like of about fifty p to make, like, and yeah. Well, then again, it was like one or two developers, wasn't it? Undertale, it was yeah. Toby Fox and well, Toby Fox the... and the artist um, Temi mm. Temi Chang. But yeah, yeah. Um, but you look at games like Undertale, and it's filled with charm. It's a timeless classic. Everyone loves it. If you don't like it, you're you're wrong. So <laughs> I'm happy there. Um, <laughs> sorry, Charlie. Talk about like inclusion. <laughs> no, I do like it. Thankfully, yeah. otherwise I'd be uh, off podcast. It's a sweeping statement, but to me, that's a statement saying that um, the concept of Undertale is what is impossible not to like because it's a obviously a developer that took his dream, turned it into reality, and made this massive impact on the industry that effectively stood up to all the triple A's and stuck its middle finger up and said we made this on a shoestring and it's more successful than the last five of your franchises. Mm-hmm. Haha, like you know, I like that. Like it's a, it's you know, it's it's a strong thing. But um, we've yeah. gone way over time. We're yes. way way over time. <laughs> like by hours, m- millennia almost. It's because we've had Charlie, so the conversation has been wonderful this week. Mm. Um, I- I'm very thankful for you joining us again. You're always welcome back. Please do come back whenever you want. I'm um, so sad we were too long, so I missed trivia time. I know. We'll, we'll get to so we'll, next time you're on, we'll do some proper trivia. We okay. won't have fifty thousand subjects because again, this was one of those things where I looked at the agenda and we went, just... "Nothing's happened in gaming this week," and we've just talked for hours. Yeah, there's um, so much to talk about in games. There is, and we keep giving ourselves this one-hour limit of the podcast, but that's just because we've said it's one hour long. That's a, a menial limitation. I've noticed other podcasts this week have also gone super long, so we're going to be cool and be part of the cool kids. We're going to do that. There you go. Um, but did you guys have anything else to say before we wrap this one up and go into the social bits? Um, nope. Got nothing personally, but except for wishing everybody uh, a nice week. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you. I hope you enjoy this this one hour and a half episode, special episode. <laughs> and I also want to thank Charlie for coming back. Uh, awesome. And of course, you're always welcome to come back anytime. Uh, you can pester me again. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
This has been the Sunfire Tavern, episode 33. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sunfire Tavern and listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And if you want to drop us an email, you can do so through sunfiretavern at gmail.com. Uh, we're also in the process of looking at getting a Patreon set up. I don't know how to do that, so I'm Googling how to set up a Patreon. Um, <laughs> it's not easy. It's quite complicated. Um, but I'm actually in talks with another podcast who are teaching me how to do it, so we'll get there eventually. And Ollie's going to do all the editing again because we never got around <laughs> to that this week. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, you're making podcast friends. We're making podcast friends. Well, I've actually linked up with a few people. Like We're talking. <gasps> There's a whole Aww. community, and it's cool. Like We're becoming friends. Um, so Charlie again thank you very much for joining us this week thank Ollie, you for having me Ollie thank you for being here as always uh, this has been the Sunfire Tavern have a great week everyone take care see you everybody Bye.